I think there's a, a general belief that it's just the guys who are in the store are d dumping all this knowledge on people who come in. But quite often, I, I'm picking up tips and stuff from people who come in uh, and are talking about the day out in the water. Um, give me advice on a particular fly or a uh, way to present uh, imitation I'm using and I'll use that when I go out in the water right so it's a it's a beautiful community where you get to swap information rather than just purchasing items welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry we focus on guides conservation resort managers gear and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the fly crate theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing the Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. This time around, we want to welcome to the program Joshua Rempel. Now, Joshua is originally out of the Vancouver, British Columbia area um, and is currently spending his time on the waters in and around the Salmon Arm area and working at Westside Stores. Joshua, thanks for coming on the program. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me, Mark. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so I, I've been checking out your Instagram, um, The Traveling Sedge. It looks to me like we're fishing some of the similar waters, but you seem to be uh, catching a lot more fish than I am these days. So <laughs> maybe you can uh, comment on some of the, the waters that you're fishing. Like, where where's your home waters right now, Joshua? Yeah, um, well, I kind of started fishing. When I first started fishing, me and my dad, we focused a lot on fishing around the, the Merritt kind of area. Um, because I'm from the lower mainland, uh, all the lakes that kind of around Merritt, uh, between Merritt, Aspen, Grove, um, those are that perfect kind of two hour striking distance for me. So it makes it easy for me to, um, to, to basically on a, a morning on the weekend, get up in the morning, rip to the lake, fish it, and still be able to come back that afternoon. Um, mm. so that, that's really convenient. I, I especially like, uh, the Cane Valley. Um, that whole area is quite, quite beautiful. Awesome, awesome drive and fantastic fishing. Um, Courtney Lake and up towards Logan Lake. Um, th those are some really familiar waters with me. Um, and then always starting the early season up in Kamloops with uh, Pat, Morgan, the, the good lakes that thaw. Yeah, it's always nice to have those lakes in, in your area that thaw early and kind of whet the appetite early on, right? Exactly, because you're sitting there all April, you're looking at... You know, you're online, you're following the forums, and you see all these lakes starting to thaw and ice off. It's kind of nice to have some some in mind that you can go to for that early season itch, right? So Yeah, absolutely. So do you do a lot of tying yourself, Joshua? Yeah, um, that's actually something I started getting into probably about it'd be three years ago now. Um, me and my dad, we were at a, uh, at a lodge, and there was these gentlemen, they were tying flies and absolutely killing it. It was a, it was a type of mayfly. Um, but it was kind of between a mayfly, like a, a calabatus um, pheasant tail, mm -hmm. and like a, a butler bug. And so I'd never seen it in a shop. And I was like, hey, guys, where are you getting that? And they uh, they said they tied them. And so that evening I gave it a crack um, in the lodge on their vice that they graciously let me use. And that kind of hooked me. So 
Was it yeah. was that Corbett Lake? Yes, that was. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me how I knew that, but I, I did notice quite a few shots of some beautiful fish out of that. And I know that water holds some some monster trout. For those who aren't familiar, that's a it's a, a private fishery in the interior of British Columbia. And maybe speak to that a little bit, Joshua. There's some pretty nice hogs in there, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Um, Peter, um, jumped by a gentleman by the name of Peter used to own the lake. Right. And uh, my dad knew Peter pretty well. So, like I said, um, my dad's kind of who got me into it. And so we would start going up just as May long weekend trips. Probably, when, I think I started when I was six. Um, and so we'd always just go up there. Uh, he has fantastic accommodations. The lake's got beautiful lodges on it. Um, they stock the lake every year and they, they, they put some decent sized ones in there. Uh, but it's got fantastic shoals. That's probably the thing about it that draws me to it the most. I like clear water where you can you can visually sight the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, those mayfly hatches, you have the visual sight windows. You can actually watch the fish cruising. Uh, but also it gives you beautiful transition zones for, for your coronamids and your that sort of thing over the deep, right? Um, and re- recently, Peter has uh, swapped management over. Um, actually, I sadly believe Peter's passed, but um, management's been swapped over. And they've been doing a really good job keeping the lake stocked up and ensuring that the numbers are doing well. You know, it's funny. I can remember, I've probably fished that like a handful of times. I want to say maybe four or five times, but I can remember fishing it years ago and I'd never seen a mayfly hatch quite like that anywhere. It was like, I remember being on the water in, in a belly boat at the time and it was like watching popcorn. They just popping all mm-hmm. around you. And I still, I still don't see that to the extent that I did back then anywhere. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, they definitely have. Um, that's that's their strongest hatch. Would be their mayfly hatch, little black mayflies. Um, you get it on a, like a little bit of an overcast day with a bit of a breeze, um, and it, it can just be absolutely fantastic both ends of the lake. Um, and that's another unique thing about it, you know, is that it's it's a large enough lake with enough little bays and good good vegetation that when a hatch starts going, it's not just in the same spot uh, like every every afternoon. So you can get quite a few anglers on the water and everyone still manages to find a little pocket of water um, where they're not crowded, mm-hmm. that they can still be having a fantastic hatch. So. Well, that, there is something to be said about um, private fisheries. I mean, trust me, there's nothing better than being on the water and, and only being surrounded by a handful of people, uh, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I'm curious, Joshua, maybe you could speak to how you're, kind of what brings you to the water. How did you first, get started with fly fishing yeah um so as stated uh me and my dad we really kind of just would look for opportunities to bond all the time and he started fishing in his early 20s so he was pretty he's pretty well versed with um how how fly fishing kind of went he took courses and that sort of thing um for casting entomology and so when I was about six, seven, that's when uh, he, he kind of got the go-ahead from my mom to take me out in the woods um, for hunting and fishing trips. And about that time, that's when we started doing Corbett because it was nice and easy. Um, you could kind of go straight to the lake. Uh, the, the boats are all set up for you, so it was, it was not too much hassle for him bringing a, a younger kid. And so that became our, our, our trip that we kind of just did every year a couple times throughout the year. Um, and... When I was in about, once I got my driver's license, so end of grade 12, um, graduating, that's when I, I kind of really took 
fly fishing um, as a hobby of my own beyond something I just did with my dad. Uh, that's when I started hopping in the car when I had time on weekends and, and going to the lakes and that sort of thing, just kind of to pass the time. I, I love being in nature um, and kind of exploring and adventuring, and it just seemed the perfect excuse to get out and go on the water, right? Um, and it's during that time, just after grade 12, that I really started getting into it. And I, I realized, whoa, this is kind of more than a hobby for me. This is more so like kind of a way of life that I, I, I just really look forward to getting out to the water for more than just the aspect of catching the fish, but for uh, the connection you get just being in the environment uh, and the camaraderie you have with fellow anglers when you're on the water. Um, and that's kind of what just developed it in, in my head and why I really look forward to doing it. Well, you're certainly in, in the right place. I, I actually used to live in Salmon Arm, and I can speak to that's just where you're at right now. You're surrounded by so many great waters. Like you said, within an hour, two hours drive, you could be just about anywhere in the interior of British Columbia. And I realized just from talking to you earlier um, before we started recording is that you're working at Westside Stores. They're pretty well known for their fishing equipment, aren't they? Yes, they are. Um, they're quite a good shop. The nice thing about them is is they're small enough and well-staffed that no one we really pay attention to customer service. So anyone who comes in this close to such good fishing, um, there's so much water around. You get off the lake and you fish one day and you come to work the next day and you get to sell fishing gear and discuss discuss fishing with customers um it's kind of a contagious excitement so that's something that the store has going for it is that all the staff are very eager to help you um and yeah they, there's there's a little bit of everything for everyone around there's all all the local lakes gardens can nearby so you get your your folks coming who want to just fish the local lakes because they're locals and you get the people coming from alberta um so there's there's always something happening and buzzing so Keeps the, keeps the store busy for the, the store that it is, for sure. I love that. That's a real old-school mentality as far as... Um, I, I, I still love going into fly shops because I think retail has changed so much. And I know I used to work at one you know, a long, long time ago. And I just remember how much, like you say, you spend time with a customer. It's one-on-one. Uh, you're actually engaged in the conversation. And they're probably very likely to come back to the store, aren't they? Oh, for sure. Um, I think the beautiful thing about it is that you kind of get to build those relationships with people. Um, and that's one thing that retail stores have that um, online just won't ever have is you get the relationship with the person who's working at the store and that the direct hands-on advice from, from people who work there. Um, and it's not only that, it's um, being a, uh, like a staff member there. I get so much information and tips and advice from people who are coming in. It's, I think there's a, a general belief that it's just the guys who are in the store are d- dumping all this knowledge on people who come in. But quite often, I, I'm picking up tips and stuff from people who come in uh, and are talking about the day out in the water, um, give me advice on a particular fly or a uh, way to present uh, imitation I'm using. And I'll use that when I go out in the water, right? So it's a, it's a beautiful community where you get to swap information rather than just purchasing items. I can tell you that my direct link to Secret Lakes with Big Fish disappeared when I stopped working in a shop. Because like you say, it's it's an interaction. And it's not just you always telling the customers where the good fishing is you learn as much from them as you know the other way around a lot of the time yeah 
Yep. Oh, totally. Half the time I, I'm, I'm hiding behind a, a row of, of gear, just trying to listen to a conversation going on one row over. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay. Good stuff. Um, so I want to get back to, to your fly fishing. So if you had to pick somebody that's been, I, I kind of think I know where you're going to go with this, but if you had to pick somebody that has been the most influential in your fly fishing, uh, would that be your dad or who would that be? Um, yep. I'd, I'd say my, my dad for sure. Um, he's taught me a lot and, and really provided me with the equipment and, and the gear I needed, um, to get out there. He got me my first fly rod and that sort of thing. And, uh, it really did encourage me to, when I graduated, start going exploring the lakes and rivers. Um, actually, uh, another big influence, it's kind of an odd one. I, I might kind of butcher the pronunciation of his name, but John Girock, mm-hmm. um, I, I read his books quite regularly, and uh, both his books just on, on stories of him fishing as well as his, um, his instructional books, um, that really helped me. He has a book called Fishing the High Countries, which has a lot of information that assists me in fishing uh, when I started first fishing small streams and rivers. Um, so that's been very helpful. And then, of course, Brian Chan, Phil Rowley, um, Les Robinson, uh, all fantastic guys who who I use their patterns on a regular basis um, from their various books. Fair enough. Some pretty some pretty big influences there for sure. And and that's the one thing that I mean we never stop learning at this as as, as anyone that fly fishes knows. And it's it's just everyone is so sharing with information. That's the one thing I really find about this sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 not a competitive sport where you're trying to beat someone. Um, for the most part, although I, I realize there are fishing competitions, but, uh, it's, it's really, you're kind of going out against, against yourself in a way. And so because of that, everyone's kind of trying to support each other and encourage each other to, to grow. Right. What does the future hold for you in your mind right now? If you could do anything five, six, ten years from now, what do you see yourself doing? It seems like you're pretty immersed in the fishing world. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely would love to, um, get, further into guiding um for me nothing is more entertaining than being on the water and that's whether i'm personally fishing or i'm helping someone fish um i've taught quite a few of my friends to fly fish and the satisfaction of seeing them get excited when they catch uh when they start catching trout or they get into a beautiful hatch um or or catch an absolute slab is is for me just as satisfying as well maybe not just but close to as satisfying as experience experiencing it myself personally so guiding definitely um and i'd like to uh start start my own shop actually for um fishing and outdoors and that sort of stuff so cool good stuff if there's a place right now in salmon arm um that you want to go and talk fishing like what i always like to ask this question is there a brewery or is there a what a coffee shop or obviously you're working in a tackle shop so that's maybe the where you get your fix but where do you go to talk fishing um so there's actually a couple things uh the brew house um there's quite oftentimes uh some some locals who are at the shop who who tie and that sort of thing who go there um for for gatherings to kind of stop and talk fishing um so that's that's a good location but actually ask uh grocery store uptown salmon arm uh, I believe it's once a month, although they've, they've, they're taking a break this month, but once a month they meet and they have a tires club. Um, 
so it's a shoe swaps tires club and they all meet there and they get together they tie some patterns they discuss patterns um less is there and he kind of always has a pamphlet of some kind that we get to work our way through um to to learn various patterns for local bodies of water as well as you know out towards Kamloops, uh cash creek all that kind of stuff so that that's a really good location to both um pick up a couple tips on tying but also to just talk fishing yeah right on have you been out to white lake yet this year i have any good quite a few times uh fantastic um, early season, especially during the ice off, anything chartreuse. I was I was just using uh, black balance leeches, but giving them a, a bit of a chartreuse hotspot, um, and absolutely bonkers uh, when the ice first came off. I was there almost every day, one week after work when the ice first came off, and it seemed like everyone was able to hook into fish, no matter what you were doing. Um, at this point in the season, it's getting a little bit. It's getting a little warmer, and the water clarity is its incredibly clear right now, but because of that, the fish are more spooky. Um, still some beautiful fishing. Uh, I've kind of swapped over to using a, a, a sinking setup, though, and uh, anchoring just outside the drop-off, casting along the drop-off and retrieving up the deep portion. Um, so that's still very productive, but it's getting a little bit tougher at this point. But early season, I, I loved it. Yeah, that's a great lake. I've had some some good days on that one for sure. I want to dig a little deeper into a fly you just mentioned that caught my attention. You said uh, balanced leech with a chartreuse hotspot. Is that is that like a vampire? What does that look like? Yeah, so it's it's basically got the semi sealed um, dubbing, so it's it's pretty buggy. It's pretty wiry, uh, and then in where where how I tie them is when I have the hook, and you have the pin going past your hook your your jig hook. I fire a bead head onto that, and I usually fire one that has a color variation. Uh, recently, red has been really good, but from a tip I picked up uh, at, my sh- at the store at Westside, someone said, try some chartreuse, fire some chartreuse in there. And so I put a chartreuse bead on that before I tie that pin onto my hook. Just gives me that little bit of a, a head in that hot spot. Um, but then the rest of it, it uh, completely black. Um, no red or anything, complete black balance leech um, with the only other color being that hot spot right on the head of it. What's that tail, Josh? Was Is that marabou or is it is it uh, squirrel? What's that tail? Marabou, yeah. Marabou, okay. Yeah. Mostly black? Or? Yeah, Enti- en- entirely black. Entirely black, gotcha. Yeah. And then with a semi-seal uh, yeah. dubbing. Se- semi-seal dubbing done with a dubbing loop. So you get that really kind of wiry, picky, yeah. picky hair going. Um, and then a small, not, not too large. I like to keep my, um, on my balance leeches, my, my marabou tail is pretty short. I find that sometimes uh, if the fish are feeling a little bit picky and they're kind of they're weakened out on the strikes, they, they hit that tail and they don't necessarily take the rest of it. Mm. Um, so I've been making my tails a little bit shorter recently too. Are you fishing these with indicators? A little bit of both. Yeah. If, if there's some if there's some chop on the water, I, I have it under an indicator. I find that the the slight ripple of the waves gives it that little bit of an action. Um, if it's a completely calm day though, glass calm, then no indicator, just straight strip. I just love the shoals on on that lake. I can remember, and it has some amazing chronomid hatches, as you say, early in the spring. And they're so prolific, the different colors. Like, I can remember one day on there being, it started with, like, lime green, and then it went to, like, a carrot, kind of an orange color. And it, the water's so clear that the, those trout get pretty picky. 
Yeah. When, when it gets clear, they definitely get leader shy. Um, it's not a lake that you want to be sloppy on your knots. Um, I know that like usually you can kind of get away with when you're doing your, your tippet material off, off the end of your leader. You can, most lakes that you can kind of have that shorter. It doesn't really matter if they see that knot connecting, uh, your leader or, or your swivel, for example, but they're definitely leader shy in that lake. So you want to make sure that you, uh, I usually try to try to go with a slightly, um, smaller diameter line, uh, definitely fluorocarbon. Um, uh, and yeah, you gotta, you gotta be pretty, pretty soft on your presentation. Otherwise you'll spook them. But as you said, the beauty in that lake is the chronomids are very, um, large quantities of them, but they're not just your classic, uh, black and red and kind of chrome and gum metal. You get some absolute vibrant, uh, bugs coming off in there sometimes makes it quite interesting yeah absolutely but you're allowed to name names here what's your what's your what's your fluoro go-to on the setup like what brand are you using um gunmetal chronomid if we're talking chronomids uh i love using gunmetal chronomid i usually start size 14 or 16 i like to kind of start a little bit smaller um and then work my way up to 12s and 10s uh, but I find I usually have a little bit more success in uh, 14s and 16s. Gun mm-hmm. um, metal uh, wrap going up them with a red ultra fine wire ribbing, and then I just use a black bead head and some form of um, some form of material to give yourself a little bit of the white gills. Um, stretch floss is really good. Uh, Unistretch. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a gill. Yep, Unistretch. That's thank you. That's exactly yeah. what I was looking. For. I got it in front of me here. That's why. Yeah. That's why I remembered it. Um, what about sorry the 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 fluorocarbon leader that you're using? And you said you like to go a fairly fine diameter. What what kind of brand or what kind of pound test are you using? So recently, I've been le- using a lot of Seaguar, uh, Blue Label, um, and around the the lakes around here, the the sweet spot I find is six pound. I kind of like six pounds. Um, if I know there's some hogs in the water, um, thinking specifically some lakes up towards Kamloops, uh, Pass Lake, um, for example, you, I, I kind of up it to eight sometimes, but usually I'm around six pounds, um, which usually runs three X or four X. Uh, and with the fluorocarbon, I find a big thing is you want to go the 100% fluorocarbon, not just some, some kind of fluorocarbon coated. You want the, it to be complete fluorocarbon. Um, harder for the fish to see, but also if you're using it subsurface, it has that extra little bit of weight, which helps assist in bringing your fly down faster. Um, that said, it can be a bit of a pain when you're going for dry flies cause it can drown your flies. So I run a little bit of floating up my tippet. So I run a little bit of floating on the line itself up from my fly. Um, but yeah, I find that that really gives you the edge in clear water when the fish are leader shy. Uh, going fluorocarbon over monofilament. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in that myself. Are you fishing a loop knot? Yeah. Um, clinch knot, loop knot. Uh, I, I like the loop knot. Uh, unless, you know mm. what? Some of my saddest days and biggest fish that I've lost have been because of the loop knot. Um, I, I it, It's just not quite as strong as the clinch knot, I find. But it gives it the, the nice superior action obviously especially you're using chronomids or nymphs they can kind of wiggle and jiggle mm-hmm. about um but yeah you, either one of those uh again if i know there's some bigger fish in the water i'll probably probably play it safer 
um, and just go a, a straight clinch or improved clinch, get that little bit of extra strength, I find. Um, but loop not quite often if I want the yeah, action. Yeah, fair enough. We're chatting today with yep. Joshua Rempel. Joshua right now is located in Salmon Arm, British Columbia, working at the uh, the fishing side of things at West Side Stores. Um, Joshua, if you could have your day, your way, like your perfect day, paint us a picture of what that would look like on, on an interior still water. Oh, yeah, that would be probably, you know what, probably a day in fall. Um I'm a big nut for, for the autumn fishing on still waters. Uh, I love it when the temperatures kind of drop, the fish are moving into the shallows, the colors around the lake are vibrant. Um, you get a, a sunny day uh, in kind of late September, early October. The fish are shallow. They're fattening up before, before ice over. Uh, there's usually less anglers on the water because uh, kind of a, a variety of interest. A lot of guys swap over to hunting season. Um, so, so you kind of get that, that seclusion on the water and you can have absolute fire fishing in, in, in cool water, stripping some leeches, um, hard, vigorous attack, um, hits and strikes. So I'd probably say for me, sunny day, October, uh, somewhere in Merritt in, in, in kind of the hill country, um, using some leeches. That sounds pretty good. You know, they, the fish yeah. really strap on those feed bags come, you know, late September, early October, even into early November before, like you say, the uh, the snow starts flying. They they get pretty aggressive, don't they? Mm-hmm. I find um I find the later in the season it gets, the more hit and miss it is. You have some days where they just don't seem interested in anything you're presenting. Um, but then you have some days where they suddenly go on a feeding frenzy. Um, and I find that it gets a little patchy throughout the day where sometimes you'll be swapping flies and, and moving positions and, and really getting aggressive with your fishing um, and nothing will be happening. But all of a sudden you'll get a, a window of opportunity and it'll be something as simple as the sun coming out, warming the, the surface uh, temperature of that water just the slightest bit and the fish will start feeding and then you're into them and you can, you can rack up the, the count over an hour so mm. fast um, it, and it really just feels like you kind of you kind of scored a little treasure um, because it, the season's coming to an end. It's kind of getting later, but you still get that kind of last minute um, awesome day out on the lake. I find that hard to beat. And those are those memories that kind of pull you through the winter months, you know, when you're sitting at the tine bench and you got that itch, but you kind of have something to draw on. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Yeah. For sure. You're bang yeah. on too. You know, when you said, um, a lot of guys switch over to hunting, uh, and then all of a sudden there's more space on the water. And, and I totally agree with you on that. I, I find fall is just my favorite time, uh, when you can get out. Cause it's, there's usually a lot of open water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of open water. And like I said, the, with it getting a little bit cooler, the fish typically come up into the shallows again. Um, so you're back to sight fishing and all that kind of stuff, which is refreshing. Um, if you fish through the hotter months of July and August, you're kind of, kind of tired of being down deep with the sinking line. It's nice that they, you get that final shot where they come back shallow again for you. If you could pick one species in, in the interior of British Columbia, and you've got lots of famous strains of rainbow trout to choose from some big brookies, what's your go-to as far, what do you like to catch the most? Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go kind of, uh, a typical, but probably the Panask. Um, mm-hmm. I find this, the, the fact that they're just chrome bullets quite fascinating. 
there's some gorgeous fish and the, the amount of aerial um, jumps and flips and, and tail walks they do is hard to beat when they really give you a show when you when you set the hook. Uh, so I'd probably have to say if I could have one, it would be Panask. Panask yeah. Rainbows. I hear you. Those blackwaters can be fun too, but very different fish in, in your area for sure. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I love blackwaters for their, their aggressiveness. Um, I, f- I find that they, they get larger than Panask slightly faster. Um, but who doesn't love setting the hook and having a fish ha- come five feet out of the water for you, right? It's kind of hard to Well, beat. that's exactly it. And those, those Panask love to patrol those drop-offs and shoal areas, and, and they're primarily insect feeders. So that kind of suits us just fine as far as tying doesn't it yeah exactly it's it's nice that you get to um you they typically are not very very not not as confusing you don't sit there and kind of go oh what's going on in the water like how come they're not taking these bugs because they're so keyed in on a particular strain of insect um and and insects themselves you know that if you can match that hat you're probably going to be pretty gold yeah, that's accurate. You know, because a lot of lakes I noticed that have the blackwater strain in, you may not see a fish even jump all day. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're into one. And it just kind of doesn't seem to make sense. No rhyme or reason. They're all, like, like they're predators. All of a sudden, boom, they're there. They show up. But th- those panasque, like you say, if you could dial it in on what's happening, you're going to probably have a pretty good day. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing to solving the puzzle of fly fishing, which is very enticing about it. It's rewarding to be able to identify um, what's hatching, what's coming off, and to be rewarded for that. Nothing's kind of worse than you figure out exactly what's hatching. You get a good imitation of it. You find one, in, whether it's a vial sample, you pull one out of the water or you pump a fish. Um, you look in your box, you find the, the right imitation, and then it proceeds to not really do much. Um, and you, that, I find that that happens sometimes more with blackwaters uh, mm-hmm. than it does Benask. Absolutely. I, agree. I couldn't agree more. If you could change something about fly fishing, is there anything that's going on out there you think we could do better or, or would like to see changed? Mm, I, I'd i like to see um, more young people kind of getting into it. Uh, I still think it, it's starting to happen. There's definitely a lot more um, younger generation getting into fly fishing, but I still think a lot of people think of it particularly as kind of a, a sport for um, the more mature and, and slightly older individuals. Um, and I, I think that that's fantastic, but I think a lot of, a lot of young guys are kind of scared off by it um, and kind of get almost looked down a little bit on sometimes. Uh, dependent on the group they're in, um, they can be kind of looked at as just not having the experience or not really knowing what's up, which granted you're younger, you've had less time on the water, but I think it, I think it kind of intimidates and scares a lot of guys away from it. Um, because it is such a steep learning curve, uh, at the best of times. Um, the last thing I think a younger guy needs is sometimes to be, have someone looking down their nose at him. Um, but for the most part, I think that's gotten much better. Uh, it's, I'd say, um, groups are getting more open. Um, people are being more open when they see a young guy roll up onto the water uh, or a young girl. Um, and so I think that that's taking big steps in, in improving. I think that's well said. And, and guys like yourself, uh, young guys up and coming in the sport or in the shops to help. I think that can only be a good thing. Mm-hmm. 
You got any crazy fish stories, Joshua, from your time on the water in the last few years? They don't always come to mind quickly, but just kind of think for a second. Is there anything that's weird that's happened to you lately? <laughs> you know what? Actually, I was hoping you would ask. Um, I was just on a trip. I was up in one of the lakes in the Douglas Lake Ranch property. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were we were fishing around this particular hole in the weeds. And the fish were rising steady. And... You know, you, you, you have your fair run-ins with uh, nuisances when you're out in the water uh, over, over the year and the season. Um, loons are kind of one of those things that I love to see on the water. Uh, but I've had my fair share where they kind of can disrupt the fishing around me. Um, and there was this one particular loon that was treating us almost like how a sea lion treats um, salmon anglers out in the ocean. He was just circling and circling. And this sucker was so smart that we had three boats. He would swim between the boats and watch us. And the second one of us had a fish on, we could be across the, across the bay. And the loon would hear the fish jump, instantly turn and beeline it to that boat. And he was, uh, he was dogging our boats for some time. Um, and he actually managed to knock off three fish. Um, one was mine, two were my dad's. Uh, and he, he, I guess he'd get underwater and just bump them just right, and he, he'd knock them off, right? Oh. And so on the third time, we're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to try something different. We moved to a different portion of the bay. Fish on, playing the fish. Loon comes up, hits the fish. Um, and I suppose when the, the bug came out of the fish's mouth, it came back and caught the loon. Oh, so all of a sudden, this thing starts howling out line. And we're like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And uh, that's when we realized that this loon was on the end of the line, Um, just absolutely stripping the line. So we were trying to put the brakes on it, you know, try not to harm the loon. At the same time, hoping that he doesn't absolutely take all our gear off at the end of it. And so that was pretty, pretty hectic. We're anchors up chasing this loon across the water, hoping that the fly would come out of the poor guy. So what happened? So it got him into the backing. Kept putting the putting the drag on, drag on, just trying to kind of get it to tighten down, so hopefully the fly would pop out. And literally the last couple spins, uh, spins of backing, the the fly finally popped out. He was, yeah, he only had a couple wraps left on there though. We were almost positive he was going to lose his whole his whole setup. Wow, I've actually had something very similar happen, and it's amazing when when those things take off. They they are probably about as fast as anything underwater that you could ever see. Oh, absolutely. And they're smart, right? They, they've, it's not their first rodeo. So they, like you say, they, they're dialed in. And on some lakes, as soon as your rod bends, they're down. They're looking under the water. They know. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're following you and you, you pull up anchor and you move across the water. You can move to a complete different part of the lake, other end of the lake. And this loon would five minutes later, he'd be there. He'd be following you, right? Smart little guy. Oh yeah. For sure. I think sometimes the best thing you can do is if you have a small one on after he lets go, maybe, maybe that loon gets fed and leaves you alone for a bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds mean, but it's, uh, <laughs> no, it's true. He, he demands his taxes, right? That's right. That's right. You're on, you're on his home water. He gets his, he gets his share. So if somebody, Joshua wants to check out some of the good fishing you've been up to, um, throw out your media handle out there so uh, they could, uh, kind of follow along some of the fish you've been chasing in, in British Columbia. Yeah, for sure. Um, so traveling underscore sedge. Um, I have that on an Instagram and a Facebook account. 
Um, so feel free to take a look at those and uh, leave some comments, recommendations on things I can be swapping up. I started, yeah, I started it um, last last year actually. Uh, when I went fishing for a month, I took a month off and was was just fishing all the lakes around again the the Cane Valley and up into Kamloops and that sort of thing. And I kind of started it as an account um, specifically for me to almost look back on, almost like an online scrapbook. Um, and as I did it, as I continued to do it more and more, I realized that I I just love documenting um, my adventures out in the water, and so. I have a lot of learning to do. Uh, I want to get into more photography, get a better camera, better quality um, video camera and cameras and such. Um, but it's it's a learning process, but I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. Well, we appreciate you taking the time today. Keep up the good work. And uh, if anybody's in the, in the Salmon Arm area, they can pop into, into West Side stores and, and maybe chat fishing with you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, make sure you swing by. We look forward to seeing you there. Thanks, Josh. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. You have a great season. Yeah, you as well, Mark. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.